Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I wonder if opponents of a bill like this would try to then accuse libraries of banning that book about the earth being flat, or if libraries would be taking a a very open approach to what can be stored on their shelves. I mean, if I were a librarian, I would buy that book and then just shelve it in the fiction section. (laughs) Good idea. Because that's what it is. Welcome to Millennial, the home of pretend adulting and real talk. Let's do a roll call here. Okay, we've got me, we've got Laura, we've got Pam. All right, so all the Titanic girlies are here. We are here. In a submersible two and a half miles under the sea, having spent $250,000 for a joyride to death. I have to say, nothing has ever made me feel better about my student loan debt. Because while it was debt that didn't really do anything or add anything to my life that I'm going to be stuck with forever, um, at least it didn't kill me. Yeah, imagine if we had expendable income, we too could be sitting potentially in the wreckage of the Titanic. Of the Titanic, yeah. Your student loan debt hasn't killed you yet, Laura. We might die with it. It will outlive us, potentially. Right. (laughs) We won't focus too much on this today, but this is definitely the story of the week. Everybody's probably up on it by now. We actually recorded a variety show yesterday. It was a WTF News edition, and this was my story, and we spoke about it for a good 20, 30 minutes. We were aghast, needless to say. Just to run through a couple of details we learned today, the submersible is controlled by a wireless Logitech gaming controller, and much of this vessel looks bootstrapped together. Um, This all came out in a CBS report on this exact vessel last year. And the guy being interviewed in the CBS piece, yeah, he's on the submersible right now, possibly dead. He's the CEO of the company, Ocean Gate, it's called. This reminded me of another story, by the way. I don't know if you two remember this. A little pop quiz for you two. What company CEO died using his own product? I think I know this, but am I going to ruin it if I if I give you the answer, Andrew? It's a pop quiz. I mean, you can get an A it's a right pop now. Quiz. If you want. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wasn't it uh, the CEO uh, of the company that made segways? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> the guy was on his own product, and he rolled off like a hill and died. A cliff, <laughs> I think it was. See, I've always thought that segways looked a little dangerous, so now I feel vindicated knowing this they little. Are tidbit of pop culture yeah yeah so this whole story is giving Segway ceo energy given this guy is currently on his own ship only five people on board so i don't know why he was on at this particular time and then i saw this today too ocean gate 
which is, again, the company that owns this missing submersible, fired an employee a few years ago after he filed safety complaints against them. The employee specifically said the sub was not capable of descending to such extreme depths before he was fired. The ex-employee also said passengers would not be informed of his safety concerns and they would not be told about hazardous flammable materials being used within the submersible. So this is just the tip of the iceberg. I think more is going to be coming out about this company. And I think it's so funny how after the CBS report came out, it became clear why they were calling this thing a submersible. They weren't calling it a submarine. And that's because it's not a fucking submarine. (laughs) And also, there are apparently no regulations about doing this kind of thing. It's literally some billionaire's DIY garage project that he decided to turn around and sell for a quarter mil per seat. I have to imagine that if everyone aboard is still alive, he's not having a good time right now. No. Oh, that's a good point, too. Right. Because he's stuck with all of them. They're like, how could you? How could you? And now you're jerking off in front of us as we all are doomed. <laughs> this, this was actually what I was going to bring up when we talked about this during WTF News, which you can listen to over on Patreon if you subscribe to that tier. But like, Andrew was asking us what we would do if we thought we were going to die. But like... Don't you all think that they're just arguing down there? Because I think it's like low-key Lord of the Flies. Probably. Yeah. yeah. There's no space. Like, I I had, like, very recently just seen the inside of this thing. There's not even seats. They paid a quarter of a million to Laura's point to just, like, crouch in a tin can. And in the CBS report, they have to take their shoes off. The CEO says it's like tradition to take their shoes off before going in. So all these people probably have smelly feet. They're smelling each other's feet as they die. But the, the CEO angle is like so important to this story because, yeah, like we just said, he's trapped in there with them. So imagine the conversations unless this submersible And this is a word I never heard before. And now it's going to be like the word of the year. Um, This submersible could have imploded, too. So everybody might be already dead, which is, frankly, probably the better way for them to die in this situation than five days of torture. Also, the fact that, like, they could emerge to the surface and still die because nobody gets them in time to open the submersible. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Well, that's the other thing. It's fucking bolted shut from the outside. Oh, right. Oh, like, I forgot about that part. Yeah, that's what Cam's talking about. Even if yeah. they do get to the surface. Yeah. I mean, it, the search and rescue for this is going to be damn near impossible because it doesn't have a GPS. It doesn't have any kind of chip or tracking device on it. And even if it did, it has no power, presumably. So how are they going to find it? Even if it does reach the surface, which is the best case scenario, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of mileage to cover looking for something that is around the size of a van. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just to illustrate how small this thing is. Worst case scenario is they're stuck on the bottom. And if that's the case, the U.S. Coast Guard. U.S. Coast Guard actually did a press conference earlier this afternoon. If they're stuck at the bottom, we can't get them because there's nothing that can go that deep. 
Yep. So wild situation. Of course, it grabbed the world's attention because of the pop culture angle here. And of course, this brings up discussions about billionaires and what happens to you when you have too much money? You want to blow $250,000 to go visit the Titanic. I mean, I'm sure it's beautiful, but a once in a lifetime experience. But couldn't you be doing something else with that money? These high risk trips are like appealing to billionaires. There's also just so much footage that exists out there now, thanks to technology and so many people trying to do good work to preserve what is still viewable all that way down. Because in less than 100 years, the Titanic's not going to be around anymore as a result of, you know, bacteria that eats away at the iron. That That's like a well-known fact. I think even before this happened, I think Laura brought up that we had just gotten some new 3D photos of the wreckage. So there's no reason for anyone to like, that isn't an expert to go down there. Yeah. And what's sad is somebody who is an expert is also on this submersible. He was involved with uh, creating those 3D scans. He had been, I forget his name off the top of my head, forgive me, but he had done around a dozen dives down to the Titanic. So he'd done it before and he was going on this mission, although it feels like it, it kind of gives me like, you know, Universal Studios or like Disney World vibes where they like put you in the story and the idea is you, you're you part of the story. You're one of the scientists because they're giving these people scientific roles to be on this expedition, but they're not. They're just tourists. Disneyland actually has a submarine ride. It's Finding Nemo themed. I bet it's safer than this. Being in that sub gives me anxiety. I Well, no, I was going to say that like when I was imagining this in my head, I thought that they at least had Finding Nemo type seats, but they don't. Like oh. it, I figured that it would look like that. Yeah, because they could only let like 15 people on, a ro- on the ride at, at a time at that attraction. And so Yeah. <laughs> and God help everybody on that sub if somebody farts. Oh man. Issuing a correction here, Chloe has uh shared in the Discord the name of the person I was referring to, Paul Henri Narjolet. Narjolet. He's, you know, French, and like I said, he's you know, a well-regarded expert in the field of Titanic history. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, Grant, who's listening live on Patreon, says, tax the rich, save their lives. I like that slogan. Yeah. Between this and um, Orca's sinking yachts, (laughs) I feel like the ocean, I saw somebody give this take. It was like the ocean is eating the rich for us. (laughs) I saw that too. (laughs) The Orca story is wild as well. It is. We did discuss this further in the latest Variety Show, and that's available now on our Patreon. You can check it out uh, without even pledging because we have a free seven-day trial now. So just go to patreon.com slash millennial and you can check it out. Also, in last week's After Dark, we dropped a new Muggle Suck installment and we read an AOL Instant Messenger combo in which I pitched to the MuggleNet founder the idea for the Harry Potter podcast that would become MuggleCast and how he pushed us to ensure it would be a success. And Laura shared a short but sweet and tragic email conversation with said founder. So more gossip in last week's After Dark, and we'll be rolling out some more Muggle Suck installments throughout the summer. And now 
we wanted to update people on a couple of other stories. First of all, um, Bud Light spoke about them a couple of weeks ago at the top of Pride Month. And we spoke about how sales were suffering in the wake of all these stories that came out and all this backlash or fake backlash. Well, they are officially no longer the number one beer in America. They've been supplanted by Modelo, which is an import similar to Corona Light. I did not realize Modelo was so big. Did you two know it was popular at all? Yeah, I suppose so, because it seems like most places carry it. It's pretty ubiquitous. I mean, if there weren't any better options, I've been known to pick up a 12-pack of Modelo if we needed to have something around. Uh oh, here she goes again. If there's no better options, calling it a <laughs> shitty beer. <laughs> no, I, I honestly I don't think Modelo is is that shitty. Okay. And All also, right. I like I as I have chronicled. I know you're going to call me out anyway. I think there is a place for shitty beer, and there are some shitty beers that I appreciate. Bud Light is not one of them. I'm not a beer drinker at all, so I have no horse in this race. But I don't think like if you would have asked me what the popular import beer was, I would have said Modella. I would have said Corona. Must must be Corona. But I figured that Modella had to be reasonably popular because whenever you see um, people inventing, you know, like any kind of like sleeve you can fit over a drink that needs to stay cold. A lot of people ask, like, will it fit a Modelo bottle? Because Modelo bottles are very unique in shape. They're not shaped like normal bottles. So I figured if people are asking if products like that can fit a Modelo bottle and there's a market for Modelo, I just wouldn't have assumed that it was, you know, chasing the heels of Bud Light for like the number one spot in America. Exactly. I think that's the most shocking part. I actually have drank it over the last year. Uh, I hadn't really previously, but you see it at bars on tap and obviously it's at liquor stores and with a lime, it goes, it it pairs really nicely with a lime, probably better than Corona does. They've got like seltzer spinoffs too now, of course. But two weeks ago on this show, Laura was really shitting on Corona and just for the sake of time, I decided to not push back. But I was shocked that Laura was calling it a shitty beer. And last week in our planning meeting, which is on our Patreon in the new executive producer tier, this happened. We wanted to give people a sample of what you can expect <laughs> in these planning meetings. Who's number one now that Bud Light lost their Modelo. spot? And actually, I did want to talk about that more with you because you went so hard on Corona. And like I was like... I was clutching my pearls because I'm actually a big Corona fan. So to hear you go so hard on one of my beloved beers, it's it was hard. Me to go honestly. hard on Corona. I said I like Corona. No, you were shitting all over it on air. No, I mean I was saying that if I want to have a shitty beer, I'll go for a Corona because <laughs> I like. Because <laughs> enough on for a Andrew hot... to clutch his pearls. <laughs> that, on, I... a hot, on a hot summer day. There's nothing better than a Corona with a lime in the neck. Yes. But you just said it was shitty, so I'm confused. I mean, in the like, okay, let me ask you a question. Is Taco Bell shitty? Yeah. But you still eat it, right? You still like you two things can be true. Multiple truths exist. 
okay, but I just don't think Corona shitty. Period. That that's all. That's why I was clutching oh, my pearls. Oh, oh, I see. I do I not see. consider it shitty. Yeah, I see. I will say I don't consider it to be in the same class of shitty as I consider Bud Light. So the show almost ended during that moment because we were feuding yeah. so hard. We almost broke up. This is especially <laughs> funny to me because Corona is the, this sounds weird to say, Corona is like the beer of my childhood. Not that I was drinking it, but that was like the beer of choice at all the family <laughs> parties. And yeah. um, you knew people were being cheap if they showed up with either either Bud Light or Tecate. So it's kind of funny to hear you both freaking out over whether or not Corona is a shitty beer because, you know, that was considered a luxury when you're trying to get a plethora of people drunk, at least in my household. I never I considered it a shitty beer. So I, I learned something new over the last few weeks. By the way, it was fun playing that clip back and watching Laura listen to herself because she was putting her hand up like, so true, bestie. So true. <laughs> she sure herself. Herself wow, she's really smart. I still think I'm right. <laughs> okay, fine. I don't know. Corona, man. When I used to visit Vegas, my like number one goal as a tourist here was just pounding as many Coronas as possible on the casino floor. Give me a Corona. Give me a Corona. Give me Corona. Just getting drunk on Corona. So that's why it holds a special place in my heart. And it's good. I'll tell you what, Andrew, when I come out to visit you in Vegas, we will get drunk on Corona. Um, I will drink Corona exclusively for one day <laughs> while I'm out there. Oh, man. I don't want to ruin your trip, though. I wouldn't do that to Laura's you. It's going to be like, ah, uh, it tastes just like college. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's not, as I said, not a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's it's a specific vibe. It's okay. I respect. Look, we've all got different tastes. I just I couldn't believe what I was hearing when you were going off on them a couple weeks ago. That's I know. all I'm saying. I'll have to keep this in mind. I don't want to trigger you in yeah, the future. I'm a, I'm a snowflake when it comes to my, my drinks, my boys. So please be careful around me. But Pam, you wanted to guide us through a couple other updates, right? Yeah, so it's been a while since we talked about book bans, but obviously they've taken center stage over the course of this past year. Um, and Illinois is taking this very seriously. They officially announced last week that they are banning book bans. So the entire state of Illinois is now the first to pass a law that puts a ban on banning books. This law was signed into effect by Governor J.B. Pritzker, and he said that the law comes as a result of an uptick in an attempt to pull certain books off of shelves. And even though we've seen this happen recently across the country, in Illinois specifically, there were nearly 70 attempts to take books off of library shelves in the past year alone. But according to the American Library Association, there were also more than 2,500 efforts to ban books in the last year, which doesn't really seem like a lot. But it is when you think about the fact that that's an uptick of nearly 40% from 2021. So this is definitely a growing trend and something that we should all be aware of because it's not a good look. And a lot of what is 
um, being banned, uh, specifically in more conservative parts of the United States are books that can be really helpful as far as, you know, depicting an experience that is different from the white experience in America. So as part of the new law, this requires that libraries in the state, including school libraries, adopt the American Library Association's Library Bill of Rights or similar language. And that Bill of Rights states that, quote, materials should not be prescribed or removed because of partisan or doctrinal disapproval. And libraries who don't comply will actually lose access to grant funding. So that's basically how they're looking to enforce this. And it looks like they're not alone because looking ahead, there's also a similar bill that's currently making its way through Andrew's home state of New Jersey. So we'll see if that is the next state to put forth a similar law. My sweet angel nephews won't have to deal with any banned books in libraries. So, yeah, I think this is great. I do have a couple of questions about it. Um, Like, obviously, this doesn't stop booksellers from leaving books off store shelves. Also, what if a library just conveniently forgets to stock a banned book or maybe they stock fewer copies than they normally would of what might be a popular book? So I imagine there's still some loopholes here, but it's good to see that states are trying to do something. They're banning banned books, which is pretty cool. I think if it's a particularly popular title, I'm sure that it's going to also be like dependent on local community members to maybe report libraries that are not shelving or or housing specific titles. Like it's going to look pretty obvious if a school like doesn't carry any queer literature, for example. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if there'll be any opponents of this who try to sort of exaggerate the language for what it means to ban a book and maybe try to push the idea that something that has, you know, sort of no scholarly standing, um, perhaps like, a book about how the earth is flat, which I'm sure exists somewhere. I wonder if opponents of a bill like this would try to then accuse libraries of banning that book about the earth being flat, or if libraries would be taking a a very open approach to what can be stored on their shelves. I I mean, if I were a librarian, I would buy that book and then just shelve it in the fiction section. (laughs) Good idea. Because that's what it is. Good idea. They can be tongue in cheek about it. You know, I saw an article today. There was a survey of teen TikTok users. 14% said in a survey they couldn't definitively say if the earth was round or not. No. That's wild. And they're being influenced by the bullshit on TikTok. So <laughs> that's we, we got to worry about libraries and banning books. And we also got to worry about TikTok because people are getting a lot of bad information over there. Yeah, that may be a subject to tackle for another day because yeah. I feel like that's come up at least twice. And there are definitely more examples out there. Yeah. So moving on to another little update for you all. We spoke in the past about how President Biden was looking to 
basically wage a war against what he was calling hidden junk fees. So a lot of this had to do with uh, service fees that you would often see tacked on to, say, ticket sales. And we do have an update on that with regards to what's happening over a Ticketmaster. So Biden announced in a press conference last Thursday that Ticketmaster and also other ticketing companies have agreed to let United States consumers see the full price of tickets, including service fees up front. So you can expect to see this number more accurately reflect reflected beginning in September. So the goal of this is to obviously implement more transparency. I know that all of us have at some point or another bought tickets through Ticketmaster because that's usually the place you have to do that these days. You think you're buying a ticket for, say, 100 bucks, and you get to the end of the line and oops, it's actually almost $200 after all of the fees that they tack on. So I guess like you know, like I said, it's a it's a way to be more transparent about how much you're actually going to be paying up front. But this was kind of funny because the Biden administration was really kind of touting this as a huge victory. And I'm sure that everybody who remembers reading this headline when Biden started talking about it was thinking that by eliminating hitting junk fees, Biden was actually trying to like remove some of the service fees that we have to pay for these things. And that's not really what's happening here. So it doesn't really feel like a big win if you're a consumer, but I guess it's it's a win for for him. Yeah, I think it's a reach for him to call it a win. I saw a couple tweets from his accounts and he was hyping it up like it was a big change and a win. I guess, you know, take the wins where you can. But this ultimately doesn't get rid of those fees, to your point. Though it has been a problem, I think StubHub still does this as well. And StubHub, by the way, they are really bad about it. You pick out a ticket and then you jump through like five to six questions, including ridiculous questions like, are you excited to go to this concert? Is this your first time? And only after answering these stupid questions do you see the actual price. And I think what they're doing is manipulating you Because you go through all these questions, then you see the new ticket price with the fees. And it's like, oh, shit, I just jumped through all these hoops. I might as well buy the ticket because I just went through all that effort. I I think there's some psychological manipulation going on there. StubHub still is hiding their fees. Another company that recently changed and is now offering to put all their fees up front with the nightly rate is Airbnb. So um, that's good because, yeah, all that all that stuff is frustrating. Yeah, especially if you're going to see you're trying to get tickets to see a bigger artist. I know that, you know, Andrew, for you, Bruce tickets can be hard to come by. By the time you pick your seat and get to the end, it's like even if the ticket is 80 bucks more than you thought, you're probably going to buy it because you've already been waiting in line, albeit virtually. You've spent all that time doing that. You've picked what is looking like a good seat. You start getting excited about it. If you start the process over again, there's no guarantee you'll get a decent seat that's more at your price range. The clock so, on the checkout page is ticking. Yeah, tick, tick, tick. They only give you like five minutes to do everything. So unless you have your payment saved 
in Ticketmaster, yeah. you're going to need those five minutes to input all your credit card information and your billing information. So and then you're like, oh, you I, don't know, win. I don't know if I want to pay this, but there's a chance when I hit complete purchase, it's going to fail and kick me back to the beginning. So maybe I'll just YOLO right. it and <laughs> see what happens. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe Biden's looking for some kind of win to tout right now because he's he and his administration aren't having a good time at the moment in light of the fact that Hunter Biden just pled guilty to three felony counts. Did you guys see that this morning? Yep. Yep. So bad week for him. But look, that guy is a problem. He's a problem. So, you know, we're not going to be like Fox News is with the Trump family and be like, he didn't deserve that. He deserved that. Yep. hundred percent. Bad week for Biden, but it could be worse. He could be in a submersible at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Right. Or he could be uh, facing federal indictment charges. Right. And possibly going to prison. All right. Well, we will talk about this Reddit mess. But first, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So let's talk about Reddit. This is a website we don't talk about much, but it's one of the biggest websites online. We all use Reddit here, which we'll talk about in a little bit. This story we're going to talk about today is really big, and we're not going to hit on everything because otherwise we'd be here for three hours. But this is a story of a company and its CEO becoming blinded by greed and leaving its power users behind which is the exact people any social media network needs because they're contributing all the content. So what happened was Reddit announced that they were going to start charging developers for API calls to Reddit servers. And API calls are how a third-party app or service will communicate with other apps and tools. So basically, it's like a handshake between the third-party app and Reddit. Developers understood this decision to start charging for API calls. And they waited to hear what the prices would be. Reddit announced the pricing 43 days after announcing their intent to start charging. And those prices were seen as way too high for indie developers, the people who built third-party apps for Reddit before Reddit even had their own official mobile apps. And what's worse, they announced the pricing and they gave developers a month to prepare. They said, here are the prices, and we're going to start charging you in 30 days. That's way too short of a time. Other companies have done similar things, but given developers way more time. And in other words, they gave the developers less time to prepare for the charging to begin. Then Reddit gave themselves time to figure out the pricing. So that wasn't a good look. The indie developer of the third-party Reddit app, Apollo, who's been at the center of this controversy around Reddit's handling of this situation, announced that the popularity of his app would mean that he'd be having to pay Reddit $20 million a year, which was untenable for him for a variety of reasons that he's explained. So he's going to shut the app down for good on June 30th. And Reddit has been entirely unwilling to work with this developer. His name is Christian Selig. Um, He's had meetings with them and they produced no results. Things started off cordial and it seemed like he he was optimistic, but then they fell apart pretty quickly. Uh, Other developers feel the same way about how things have been going with Reddit. 
Um, users of Reddit, particularly power users who use the third party apps like Apollo because they think they are better than Reddit's own app, have seen this as an attack on the Reddit community and the developers who have helped foster the community. They don't like that Reddit is prioritizing their business over the community. I've used the official app. Do either of you use third party? I don't. I use the official app and it sucks, admittedly. Um, I'm not a power user, nor am I a moderator. So I don't really have, you know, as much incentive to use one of these third party apps. But even just as a casual user, the Reddit app sucks. I personally haven't had problems with it, but I guess I just don't use Reddit enough. Like I'm looking through a couple mm. subreddits, I'm commenting here and there and I'm done. But you're not alone in that opinion. I've seen a lot of people saying it's bad. I just don't fully understand why it's bad. For me, it crashes a lot. Um, it also doesn't have like a great relationship with being launched by a browser, for example, I've noticed like if you ever Google something and a Reddit link comes up and you tap it, you would want that to open up the Reddit app, which your browser does try to do. But a lot of the time it doesn't really work very well or it directs you to a different post entirely than the one that you clicked on in the Google search results. It's just kind of messy. And then I think you know, from a moderating perspective, um, the official Reddit app just lacks a lot of the tools that moderators need to really be able to, you know, monitor and enforce policies in their communities. Yeah, I would agree with Laura. Usually whenever I, because obviously anytime you Google something, say through the Safari browser, if you're using an iPhone, and you're looking specifically at a Reddit post, it will prompt you and ask you if you want to launch in the Reddit app. But more often than not, whenever I've done that accidentally, or I've tried to go back to using it, it just sends me back to the Reddit homepage, which isn't what I want. So I'd rather just um, use it straight on the iPhone, which has gotten a lot easier for a long time they were kind of trying to like force you to use the app saying that you needed to like sign in to see certain subreddits and stuff like that. So I think that like everybody involved knows that it's not the best app out there. And that's probably why they've laxed a little bit on the login rule. And by the way, Apollo, this third party app has won Apple design awards and Apple at their most recent keynote before all this started going down featured Apollo multiple times in the keynote which was a big deal for the developer and also very interesting that Apple decided to feature the Apollo app instead of the official Reddit app. Apple's even acknowledging how beloved this app is for Reddit. And I also want to say I understand where people are coming from being outraged that one of their favorite third-party apps is being taken down because when Elon bought Twitter, he shut down the third-party Twitter apps. And I was really pissed about that. Um, I was using TweetBot and I loved it. It was a wonderful app. And so many other people thought so too. Um, And when he shut it down, I thought I was going to be done with Twitter. But then once I was forced over to the Twitter app, I was like, I got used to it. So those who are pissed about losing Apollo and these other third-party apps do know that it's going to suck for you for a few weeks, but eventually you'll get used to it. Or maybe you'll be able to leave Reddit, unlike what I was able to do with my relationship with Twitter. But um, these protests that have been going on have been really interesting to follow. There was an initial blackout of 
thousands of subreddits to protest the changes and Reddit's handling of the situation. It was initially supposed to be for two days, but extended to four. And as of the time that we are recording, over 3,000 subreddits are still set to private, meaning nobody can access them, even if you had previously joined the subreddit. This week, some of the subreddits started posting porn as a form of protest, (laughs) which causes new problems for Reddit and its audiences. And one issue for Reddit is that they cannot advertise on pornographic material. So this is impacting their revenue. Also, some subreddits have started exclusively posting content related to John Oliver, which is just amazing. Like you go to r slash uh, reddit.com slash r slash aww. So this is the aww subreddit. And you just see John Oliver, like fan art of him cradling little ducks and John Oliver in a Guardians of the Galaxy poster. John Oliver with the Teletubbies. Like it's all so stupid. And it's wall to wall John Oliver. And what's so funny about that is the subreddits that started doing this, I think it was three of the more prominent ones, did it because they allowed their members to vote on what their content would be moving forward, given some of the uh, draconian rules that Reddit is trying to push on these communities. And the communities voted for exclusive John Oliver content. (laughs) They're like, hey, CEO, we're just giving people what they voted for. We, we're following the guidelines here. Yeah. Um, and that's because he he did this uh, AMA where and he also did an interview, I think, where he was talking about how he believed that the vast majority of Redditors are tired of hearing about this. They want the protesting to stop. They want, you know, these subs to stop going uh, black. And he was like, if we were to take a poll of Redditors, most of them would say, you know, enough of this, I'm tired of it. So these subs were like, okay, yeah, let's do a poll. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank you for throwing that in here. Speaking of this CEO, Steve Steve Huffman, uh, first of all, what's fascinating about this is that he's been at Reddit since the beginning. It's not like he just came in off of Wall Street and is coming in with a wrecking ball or he comes in like Elon Musk and just has a fundamental misunderstanding of Reddit. He's been there since the beginning. He should know what people are going to like and he should know how to handle a crisis like this by now. Um. So Laura mentioned that AMA. It was a really bad AMA. It was short. It looked like he was giving canned responses. At one point, one of the responses including an, included an A and colon at the front of it, which kind of implied that he just copy and pasted it from like a Word document. He also sent a memo to Reddit's team saying that this backlash would blow over, which of, of course fueled the fire and made Redditors want to push the backlash further. To, to show him that it wasn't just going to go away. And as the blackout of popular subreddits continued, he said that Reddit would step in and overpower mods who weren't cooperating with the rest of their teams. And then he also most recently compared mods who work for free on Reddit and are the backbone of communities to landed gentry. So... Again, like this guy's been there since the beginning. He's just insulting the people who really make Reddit what it is today. They have not backed down from the prices. And again, developers are willing to pay. 
just not the prices that they set. So why is Huffman so hell-bent on charging for API calls and keeping the prices where they are? Well, Reddit is not profitable, and they are trying to become a publicly traded company. So the pressure's on to make money. He also admitted that Elon's aggressive moves at Twitter showed that a platform can make sweeping changes like shutting out third-party apps, charging for API calls, which Twitter did too, etc., and surviving any backlash. So we'll see if this goes the way of Twitter, which still isn't in good shape, or um, this goes worse than it has for Twitter. Yeah, and I will add here that Huffman has been rubbing shoulders with Elon for a while now. Um, He said in a recent interview that he and Elon had discussed potentially launching an an internet platform together. So I think he's taking a great deal of influence from what Elon's doing and thinking about short term gains and not the long term potential impact on a website that, you know, we haven't noted here on the dock for a long time. It, its tagline was the front page of the internet. Yeah. And this kind of move, I feel like, diminishes that legacy and the way that people use Reddit. I have to say, I did not use Reddit regularly at all until like two or three years ago. And... The reason why I got into Reddit is because I have a Tesla and I was looking for other people who were talking about Tesla cars and talking about the software updates because they add new features. And for a nerd like me, it's pretty exciting. So I want to find other people who are very excited. And this speaks to why Reddit is so popular for so many people. You can find other people who are passionate about the same subjects as you on Reddit. Every fandom has a subreddit. And then you got all the quirky ones, too, that you wouldn't expect, some of which we'll share in a few minutes. But Reddit is just this amazing resource to find the nerdiest people on the planet for anything that you're passionate about. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it can depend on the sub, of course, Um, just like anything. You can find assholes anywhere, but... A lot of the communities that exist on Reddit are extremely supportive and passionate and fun places to be and interact with people. Yeah. Speaking of supportive, I mean, most people in the suburb, now there's some dark and bad communities, but when you're in a community, let's say, um, ask uh, gay Reddit or ask gay men, something like that. People, gays will go in there asking about, you know, help me come out. What should I do about this sexual experience, etc. People are always super supportive. And I think that's one of the other really amazing things about Reddit is that people in most subreddits are really, really nice. Like you don't deserve them. I think that you can find an answer for almost anything on there. And it feels a little less corporate than something like Quora, which is another Mm. uh, popular site that tends to pop up whenever you plug a question into Google. It's kind of just comforting to know that there are real humans that are giving you their advice. Not to say that it's good advice, but it's good to hear other people's opinions on something that you might be researching You know, like they have like subreddits for asking lawyers. They have subreddits for asking doctors. Yeah. It's just like a plethora of knowledge and information. And you can really kind of 
use it for that, or you can use it for um, enjoyment, similar to how some people maybe waste some time scrolling on TikTok. You could definitely do that on Reddit too. There are tons of different communities on there. Yeah. And I think we mentioned like a couple of years ago that people have been appending Reddit to the end of their Google searches. And actually, we mentioned it earlier in this discussion. Same. Yeah, because you know you're going to find genuine answers, not this link bait garbage in which you have to scroll to the bottom of the page to find the actual answer that you're looking for. It's people who want to just help people. They have no other incentive. Yes, you can get upvotes. You can get like coins on Reddit. But they, they're not making money off of answering your question. And Quora has real people too. But Quora's answer pages, I guess, especially these days, they're a mess. Like you try yeah. to look for one answer and then they like try to sneak in related questions and answers to those. Yeah, I hate that. And I'm like, wait, am I still on the answers about the original question I came here for? Also, you can usually only see the first two top answers. Like you can't yeah. see everything. Reddit still does not force you to sign up unless it's like a locked subreddit, right? Which is mm-hmm. few and far between. But for most basic stuff, like, okay, like the other day I, I broke a nail and I wanted to see if like there was any way that I could repair it at home instead of having to go to a nail salon. So I just like plugged in like, what's the best way to fix a broken nail at home? Reddit. And there were so many different options that came up. And they just wanted to help. They weren't in it for the ad yeah. revenue. They just knew what you a were lot going of, I, I don't usually come across like people um, arguing either when like you're looking for answers like that. Yeah. You know, like everybody's just like chiming in with their own two cents and calling it a day. It is kind of wholesome. Yeah. yeah. And even if somebody decides to needle somebody, um, they'll hit them with like a very quick, clever comment. And more mm-hmm. often than not, the response is like, okay, fair. <laughs> like, people <laughs> yeah, just go yeah. with it. Yeah, so it's it's an amazing place. I've used it a little bit for self-promo too. So like I'm in the podcasting subreddit and a couple others that are related to the podcast industry. And what I'll do is I'll really try to help answer somebody's question. But then at the at the end, I just mentioned, hey, I also do some consulting if you want to talk more about this. So like I give them an answer and I try to genuinely be helpful. Um, and then I hope maybe them or others who are reading the comments will click in and find me. Because other thing to think about, too, is like sometimes you get Google in and you bring up a Reddit post. Some of these Reddit posts are like eight years old that you're pulling up. And so it's it could be a good way for self-promo and like this continued drip of people coming into your site. Now, of course, mods do watch out for people promoting. So that's why you got to be careful about the balance of like, you know, being helpful. But also, you can mention what you do. Some some software also has like have their own subreddit, which can be much more helpful to navigate if you're looking for, you know, to troubleshoot something because you know that somebody that is well versed in that that maybe is involved on the back end will answer you eventually. Um, the company that makes one of my favorite writing softwares, uh, Scrivener has their own subreddit. And so it is really helpful to just like go through there and see if anybody has been coming across a similar problem. And I can just like read through what people have offered up as alternatives and then like what an official person has stated as a workaround, which is really nice. Uh, 
It's so nice. I'm in a Costco subreddit, Trader Joe's subreddit. <laughs> I really like um, data is beautiful. I mean, I love being on like, am I the asshole and ask Reddit. Those are a couple of bigger ones you can do. Yeah. Um, I love no sleep. I mean, y'all know I love creepy things and no sleep is basically where people just share scary stories um, that they've written. And uh, it's it's a good time. Fun fact. Do you ever actually, look at the unsolved mysteries one? Yes. Too? Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> yes. Fun fact about No Sleep, there was a story somebody wrote and submitted on there a couple years ago that actually ended up getting picked up by Netflix. Oh. Wow. Um, yeah. For like, it was a multi-million dollar deal um, for Netflix to adapt it into a TV show. So if you've ever posted a story on No Sleep or anywhere else, um, you know, you could always get picked up. Don't let your memes be dreams. <laughs> So I found this wild subreddit a couple years ago, and I could not believe this really existed. It's r slash Herman Cain Award. And within this subreddit, you find nothing but stories of people who didn't believe that COVID was real and then died of COVID. The Herman Cain Award. All these people have won the Herman Cain Award because he... Did uh didn't believe in COVID either, and then died of COVID. It's just like so the Darwin dark. Awards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just so dark. I'm like, oh shit, I can't believe dark. something like this could fly. <laughs> Honestly, though, it's fucking hilarious. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can't help but feel a little vindicated when you're reading through some of these stories. So, yeah, that's probably my favorite weird subreddit. <laughs> I have one, which is actually last time I checked, it had gone dark um, for the protest, but r slash animals without necks. And it's it's literally what you think it sounds like. It's photoshopped pictures of animals that don't have necks uh, and they look real fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) But also one of the community rules is that you um, in any the title for any post you make can't include any vowels because vowels are the necks of words according to the sub so that's a fun one and then one that's uh not not quite that weird but is actually really cool is the alternate angles subreddit r slash alternate angles and this is where you can see just alternate angles of photographs of either famous places or famous events um, throughout history um, that just aren't the typical representation of that thing that you might see in a textbook or even online. One of my favorites that I saw in there is a photo of the guy who was taking the photo of the workers eating lunch. That's cool. On, God, which skyscraper was that that was being built? They were like out on one of the. I know what you're talking about. one in New York, right? Yeah, somewhere in New York. Yeah, and it's just literally someone taking a picture of the guy taking the picture. (laughs) So it's stuff like that. It's really cool. cool. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people who don't use Reddit might, might not realize is available on Reddit. Just like oddball, surprising type of types of content verticals like like this. Yeah, well, we're sad to see that Reddit is in this state and you thought you could trust a a CEO who's been there for a really long time. And it turns out you really can't. 
And it looks like the protests are going to continue and Reddit's not going to back down and we're going to lose third party apps. But hopefully Reddit will come out of this, you know, just fine. Right. Do you think? I don't know. I mean, did we think Twitter was going to be fine? Like, I mean, Twitter's fine, but is it really fine? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. And Twitter never was fine previously either. That's an important thing people have to remember. It was a mess even before Elon came in. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm just sad that leadership is this bad. Everybody sucks. I know. I think the the face of the internet in general is changing a lot. And so much is now getting put behind a paywall or trying to get put behind a paywall. The internet was never really free, but I think like the, the knowledge online was for the most part free. Right. And that's what made it sort of beautiful, but yeah. And in a way, you know, they're taking that knowledge on Reddit, which is all crowdsourced. I mean, Reddit is not successful without the people who make up its communities they're taking that crowdsourced knowledge and they're honestly, you know, I think when it comes down to it, you can say they're trying to monetize it. That's a fantastic point, too, because that that is what sets it apart from um like, for example, we've talked a lot before about how BuzzFeed takes advantage of Redditors a lot. It's not uncommon for you to see entire posts on BuzzFeed just taken directly from Reddit. Somebody is getting paid to put that post together on BuzzFeed, but nobody on Reddit is getting paid to contribute those hidden gems. Yeah. So yep. right. it's just money at the end of the day lining the pockets of investors and this CEO. The state of BuzzFeed is really sad, by the way. You go in these posts, they're, it is. they're just regurgitating Reddit content. It's like what happened? Yeah. I mean, I know it's always kind of been that way, but it's just sad to see that in 2023 still. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is a good point. This is and the moderators, like I mentioned, unpaid. They're just they just care. They're doing it because they for care. Fun. Yeah, for fun. And to keep Reddit a, a nice place, a place you can stomach. That's all on that front for now. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to talk about more news today. Well, hopping into our last story for the day, we wanted to chat a little bit about cybersecurity and want to note that we did chat about cybersecurity a few episodes ago. We had a cybersecurity professional on the show. Um, We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. If you haven't had a chance to listen, please do. Um, But in this latest news, several government agencies, including the Department of Energy, were hit by a global hacking campaign. Uh, late last week that exploited a vulnerability in a commonly used file transfer software. Um, Data was compromised at two entities within the Department of Energy, including a facility for the disposal of defense-related nuclear waste, which doesn't seem like it's data we want to be compromised. Um, But because this was a global attack, it wasn't just U.S. government agencies that were hit. Also hit were Shell Oil, British British Airways, the University of Georgia, Johns Hopkins University, and Johns Hopkins Healthcare Systems, among 
others. Um, the Russia linked extortion group CLOP, <laughs> that's C L zero P claimed credit and said that it would not exploit any data taken from government agencies and that it deleted all such data. Um, to which I think we all say, yeah, right. <laughs> There's absolutely no way. Um, but something that feels, you know, like it hits very close to home when you hear about this example is that millions of Americans in Oregon and Louisiana also had their data compromised in this attack. Um, the Department of Motor Vehicles in both of these states was targeted, and basically anyone who has uh, a driver's license or a state ID in Oregon or Louisiana um, had their personal data compromised, which led to some concerns about banking security. Some folks had, you know, potentially their bank accounts um, and other items compromised as a result of this data breach. Um, and more and more as we're having these conversations about these major cyber attacks on government institutions and, you know, universities and things like that, concerns from professionals in the field about banking security keep coming up. Um, we've certainly seen examples of banking institutions being hacked in the past. We all may have been uh, the victims of some kind of hacking related um, on that front. So I thought that we could, uh, you know, as a, as a jumping off point from this story about cybersecurity, look at credit card safety. Um, because in discussing the story and in planning for the show, it became pretty clear that we've all, at the very least, experienced or been concerned about some level of credit card safety. And I thought we could start, Andrew, you and I, by talking about uh, the credit card issues we've experienced over the years. <laughs> yeah. So longtime listeners might remember, I used to love Virgin America, the airline. They're unfortunately, they no longer exist. They were bought by Alaska Airlines, but they had a credit card. And because I was flying cross country a lot, I tried to be loyal to one airline to rack up the points. And I used the credit card. Virgin America had a credit card. But that damn thing, the company behind it, Comenity Capital Bank, they must have had major security issues that they couldn't fix. Because over the course of my account's life with a, a, with the Virgin America credit card through them, I had four credit cards and they preemptively sent me a new one each time. There was recently a da data breach. Here's a new credit card. There was recently a data breach. Here's a new credit card. I'm like, get it together, people. What the fuck? And it's a pain in the ass because I'm trying to use this as my primary credit card. So then I get a new card and I got to update all my stuff. I still have in my Domino's app on my phone four Virgin America credit cards that I just keep in there because it's funny to funny to look at. V America new, V America new new, V America new new new. <laughs> I have to keep putting in these stupid cards because they have so many security breaches. So that's my main story. It's just so frustrating because we all sign up for subscriptions and then you got to update them. Yeah, I have a. For my story, I have a travel credit card that I use for the points, mainly because Mark and I are trying to save up a bunch of points to do a big trip abroad 
uh, one of these years we're thinking. And this fucking card has been compromised three times in the last 12 months. And it's so annoying because it's not even a situation where there was like a mass data breach and the card issuer got in touch and said, we've been breached. We're sending you a new card. It was my card getting stolen somehow and being used at, you know, an institution or a retailer that I didn't recognize and me having to do the legwork of reporting the fraud. And it, it would be one thing if I was having multiple cards or even like my main bank account have this issue, but it's literally this one card that I've had this issue with. And I'm like, I I find it kind of hard to believe that um, hackers just keep finding this one card of mine. It feels like the card issuer is getting hacked and they're not, they're not like coming clean about it. Yeah. (laughs) I've never had any of this happen. Thankfully, I have had my credit card physically stolen before. And that was a pain in the ass. But thankfully, no breaches. Actually, my um, not credit card related specifically, but my bank is really almost like too good about shutting off um, my debit card, if any suspicious activity happens. And that I appreciate it. Because that's money you can't get back, right? If your debit card, because it's directly linked to a checking card uh, account. So I appreciate it. But at the same time, it is really frustrating if like, say you forgot to tell them that you were traveling and you swipe it. Or like if you're trying like um, at, um Apple stores, people usually hit up Apple stores if they like steal any kind of card. So anytime I've ever had to like, say, go in and buy a computer or anything that's over a certain dollar amount, then they'll shut off the card as a security precaution too. And that's really frustrating because then you have to like get on the phone with them and say like, hey, it's me and answer all these security questions and it's a pain in the ass. I hate it when that happens too because it's just embarrassing. It is because they're like, your card got declined. It's like, I promise I have money. I know. You're (laughs) like, I I swear to God, I have the money. Yeah. Or at and least also you're in the mall. So you're like trying to quietly tell this representative private information about you. Or you're at dinner and this happens with friends. Oh, and all no. your friends are like, I would be so embarrassed. Oh, this bitch poor. This bitch I out know. of money. Yeah. Fucking idiot. I've had this happen. I've had this happen. It's so embarrassing. And the waiter tries <laughs> to be discreet. Like, are, are, are you Laura? Oh, oh, and then they like shuffle over to you and like, hey, there was a there was a little problem. Um, oh, I don't know. Should we try it again? I don't know. And then Laura's like, I, imagine if you had just told the whole table, like, I got this, <laughs> <laughs> that your card got declined. No, awful. Yeah, yeah, that is awful. Bad. How was your card stolen, Pam? Was it like swiped in public or? It was. This was so dumb. I got so mad. I, I was working seasonally. Um, while I was in college at a clothing store, it was like a small store um, in a touristy part of the Bay Area. And they, this place was like not great, um, specifically because they just treated their employees like shit. And they really liked to micromanage. Like they had cameras in the store that managers could access off site. So sometimes they would be like watching you while you were in the store. And they would very regularly leave just like one person to shut the whole store down at the end of the night, which doesn't really make any sense because 
you know, usually you need like two people to, you know, count money or like start cleaning up. Anyway, um, they also um, only had one small break room, which was on the way to the only um, dressing room where you could go to try on clothes. And when I started working at this place, I said, oh, there's no lock on the break room door. And they said, oh, we don't need it. And I said, but like, where am I going to put my purse? (laughs) And they're like, oh, you can just put it in here. We've never had problems. And one night... I was working by myself and these two men came in and I just like, I got bad vibes right away. Just like felt like they were two men. Yeah. Well, that, that too, but they were just like peppering me with like so many questions and it kind of felt like it was a distraction tactic. And right after they left, the first thing I did was go into the break room to check my bag. And sure enough, my card was gone. Wow. And so I called my mom right away. And I was like, hey, this is what happened. And she said, okay. And because this was was already like nine o'clock at night, we basically had to wait till the next day to call first thing in the morning and report it. And they had only charged like 50 bucks on it by that point. But it was still kind of one of those things where it's like, this wouldn't have happened if you had just had a lock on the door, or if you had like a more secure place to store personal belongings. For your damn employees. Yeah, yeah exactly. You see so those keypad things all the time these days yes, to get into the, the next, break rooms. The next day I went in, like not the next day, the day, uh, two days later I went in and there was a locksmith installing one of those locks no. on the break room door. Yeah, I bet there too was. Little, they didn't want to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Wow. And then I got in trouble. They had like a secret shopper that was like really just a manager from another store. While this was all happening, come in, I was on the phone with like, um, I had to file a police report too, because it was technically like a, a stolen, like a, you know, a stolen thing that happened in this town. And he was just like, basically, he was like reading me my rights, talking about how like I was a shitty employee because I was on the phone on the floor when I should have been working. And I just literally had to like excuse myself from the police officer on the phone. And I had to be like, "Um, it's nice to meet you. I'm Pamela. I hope you're enjoying your time in the Bay Area. I just want to let you know that I'm on the phone right now because your company didn't provide a lock. (laughs) <laughs> on the break room. Yep. And my credit card got stolen from your store because Boom. you guys didn't have a lock on here. So I'm going to finish talking to the police. And then if you want to, you can write me up. But nice. Good for you. Pam ain't fucking around. Yeah. I love this. I was so mad. I was like shaking after two. Like my Aww. my courage like only lasts so long. And then I like go into panic. Like, ah! <laughs> how did, Pretty how did much. this person react to that? He just like didn't say anything. But then I heard that he was like apologizing profusely to my manager, which was like so funny, like that he didn't apologize to me. He yeah. just like apologized to like my manager and then their manager, like the person directly above from them. Ugh, awful. I was going to mention, and this would have been handy for you if it existed at the time. It probably didn't. I've seen some credit cards, debit cards, banks advertise that if you think your card's ever been stolen, you just go into the app and there's a little switch and you can immediately deactivate. This was before yeah. the age of apps, but yes. Yeah, like that's, that's cool, but that's I don't think mine has that. It certainly isn't that easy. I haven't found a switch like that before. I use It's Chase. hard to like order a replacement card too, even through mobile apps. Like they don't usually make that um, readily accessible. Yeah, and most people Bank are signing suck in. in general. Yeah, yeah. you most people are also just like signing into a mobile app. You don't really want to like get the old desktop out and like sign up on you know a real browser. 
right. time yeah. for that. Who's I will time? say Discover does have the feature you're talking about, Andrew, to be able to freeze your card if you ever okay. think it's been lost or stolen. And then another pip, a tip for people is that I, I hear, I've never done this myself, I don't think, but if you're going to travel abroad, call your bank in advance and let them know you're going to be traveling abroad yes. so they can put a little note on your account. And then it won't get flagged when you're over there. Even if I'm traveling, if I'm traveling outside of California, I'll tell my bank. Really? Or like my credit card. Yeah, because I like I was saying that like I I just like my bank is like really is like overly sensitive. Okay. I think I was saying that at the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But like you go to Nevada, you're like, I cross state lines. Look out. Yeah, just to be safe. I think that they wouldn't in Nevada. They probably would just be like, well, whatever. But um, one time I was in, um, I forgot, and I was in Atlanta, and I had to uh, call them and tell them that um, I, I just like, I, I was like out of state and I needed my card turned back on because I have like no access to money, you know, without that. Or like when I moved to um, to New York for the few months I was out there, I also like let them know that I was going to be in New York for an extended period of time. Yeah, I feel you on that, Pam. My uh, my bank will sometimes shut my card down if I'm buying gas in a different zip code. Not oh, like a different zip state, code. Wow, just a different zip code than the one I normally buy gas in. And uh, like you, I appreciate it. You know, I would rather them be too careful than not careful enough. But mm-hmm. goddamn, that shit's annoying. I know. Um, well, something else that you can do to protect yourself, sort of protect your credit card, but also protect yourself online, is um, a lot of credit cards now offer this these alerts. Um, so at least for me, in mine, it's when you go in to look at your credit score, there's an alert section you can tap and you can see all these alerts for if your card or if your email address were compromised on the dark web. And if you drill in on these, at least this is my experience, you can see what website was actually compromised. So a couple of examples that I was able to get from mine uh, were Park Mobile, which haven't we all used that at some point? Yeah. When we're parking. Um, Yeah. So congratulations. Your information has probably been uh, compromised. And then also MyFitnessPal, which... Some pal. Yeah, I know. But I also used such a long time ago. Like, I don't even remember <laughs> when I used it. Yeah, and you just forget where you put your credit card. Yeah. Info. Park Mobile. See, this is this is my issue with stuff like this about having to go cashless forever. Basically, that's kind of like the direction we're moving in. It would be really nice not to have to charge $2 for parking every time I want to use the ferry, for example, to get into the city. Like that would be really nice because like I usually have two bucks on me or I have two dollars in quarters and it's kind of silly that they make you pay for every little thing like that. And it's always on an app and it's like, I don't want to sign up for an account. And um, sometimes they don't link to PayPal, which feels more secure. But yeah, it's a big old mess. It's um. In terms of small payments, like when I was in New York City a couple months ago, I was using Apple Pay to use the subway. And it was really great. You just swipe your phone over top of the entrance station and you can go right through. And I didn't use a traditional subway card because I had that. It was faster. It was more convenient. It was the same price. 
Uh, but Apple Pay is very secure, too. That's another nice thing. You're not carrying around a physical wallet, a physical card that can be stolen. Of course, your phone could be stolen. But when you make each of those payments, you have to verify it with Face ID, your passcode, or Touch ID. So Yeah. And just to put it in perspective how secure purchasing with Apple Pay is, um, I bought movie tickets to go to the movies with my family over the weekend for Father's Day. And I never got a confirmation email from AMC. So I go up to the guest services desk and I say, hey, I purchased these tickets. I didn't get a confirmation email, but I definitely got charged for them. Like I'm looking at the charge right now on my card. Can you print up my tickets for me? And so I give the guy my card to look up my purchase. And it was my Apple card that I used, but it was my Apple card through Apple Pay. So when he tried looking up the tickets with my credit card, nothing was coming up. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I swear to God, that's the card I used. And through process of elimination, he was able to figure out which tickets were mine and print up my tickets and give them to me. I had indeed purchased them, but because it was my Apple card through Apple Pay, it was all encrypted. So if he tried to look up my purchase with the physical card, he wasn't going to find it because the purchase was all encrypted. So that just goes to show how safe using something like Apple Pay can be. So there's, of course, you know, some of those features. There's also, you know, credit monitoring, like I mentioned before. Um, This is a relatively new thing. You know, it used to be that you had to go to freecreditreport.com to pull, (laughs) pull your credit report, or you could pay a fee to one of the major credit reporting bureaus to get a credit report either from TransUnion, Equifax, or Experian. Um, But now most credit card apps have some kind of credit reporting built into their app that's affiliated with one of the major credit reporting bureaus. Do y'all keep track of your credit scores this way? Yeah, I I do. Yeah, I do as well. And plus, I can see it through the Chase app, actually, which is Mm -hmm. really nice. I also have a Chase card, but maybe a different one from you. And they have a, what is it called? The credit journey? Yeah, my journey, my credit journey. Yeah. (laughs) My journey to getting out of the hole. I guess if you're like, we're journeying up to like an 800, you Right, exactly. Yeah, if you're doing well. (laughs) My journey down. (laughs) But it is nice because like, you know, to your point, your credit scores are so dumb. Like you, you get dinged if you... Um, if you request too many credit reports, right? So it is nice now that so many um, car- credit cards offer a free monitoring feature. So you can like see your credit score in real time. You don't have to worry about taking that hit. Yeah. And it'll show you um, with changes, at least mine does. If the score goes up or down, it'll tell you what contributed to that change in your credit score. Um, So it just makes it a lot easier to keep track of it and also keep track of, you know, any potential fraudulent spending or spending you didn't authorize. I I wanted to throw it over to Andrew, though, for a tip about points, because something that's had me feeling stuck on this travel card of mine that keeps getting fucking compromised is that I have so many points built up on it and I feel like I'm stuck and I can't get away. I'm stuck. What do I do? Get me out. (laughs) Release me from this journey. 
Um, so, I, yeah, I wanted to let you and others know that it's actually pretty easy to transfer credit card points even between people. So if your cards are all under the same bank, look into the possibility of transferring points to a different card. And you can do this with Chase. I assume you can do it with other banks. And there are various credit cards as well. And you can also look at the possibility of transferring credit card points to a specific airline. So that gets them totally away from the bank. I know some airlines and banks offer this. They Some of them have partnerships, I believe. And like I mentioned, you can transfer points between people. So for example, Pat is able to transfer his Chase credit card reward points to me very easily, super easy. And it's instant. And then we combine our points for trips that we book under my Chase Sapphire Reserve accounts because Sapphire Reserve, that's the credit card I have, those bookings are worth more than they are through Pat's Sapphire preferred credit card. So in other words, it's a one-to-one point transfer when we do this, but the points are worth more under my account. Now, my account also does have a higher annual fee, so that sucks, but you get a lot of great benefits too, which I'll mention in a moment. So yeah, you can, you don't have to, I would get away from this card, Laura, but first look into how to transfer those points away because there's multiple options. Yeah. I'm going to have to look at that. I'll update you on what I find. Yeah. But I really do recommend the Sapphire Reserve card. I've had it for many years now. I absolutely love it. They offer great travel value when using those points that I mentioned. And then you get other cool benefits. Like you get a subscription to Link uh, <laughs> to Link to Lift Pink, which is the premium lift, and you get uh, more credit card points for using your credit card with Lift. Uh, you get DoorDash's dash pass which gets you some delivery discounts you get airport lounge access you get a $300 travel credit per year so they'll comp you $300 in travel spending that you do each year so that pays for half of the the credit card's annual fee right there um and there's other benefits too and what was the annual fee the annual fee is $550 but you get the $300 annual travel credit. So that's knocking off $300 right there. And that includes like lift rides. So you're going to, you're going to take advantage of that $300, even if you don't try in all likelihood. And then you got to make up the other 250 through hotel redemptions and stuff like that. But I check out the benefits. I really like it. I'm going to have to look at it. There's the cheaper one too, the Sapphire preferred. You just won't get as good point value. So that's why, and that's the one that Pat has. That's why we transfer the points to mine. Smart. I'm just so paranoid about applying for too many credit cards um, because I know that the number of inquiries on your credit report can decrease your score. And I just got that Apple credit card. That's the first card I've applied for in years. So I'm like, is it going to hurt me if I apply for another one this soon? (laughs) How about I add you as an authorized user that we can share a bank statement? And this could be my way of tracking your spending and looking at ways to cut <laughs> cut your spending. Sneaky, sneaky. This is Andrew <laughs> trying to get access to my bank statement. <laughs> no, we are, we already established this is going to happen. I'm going to let yeah. you be my financial advisor. I'm waiting. Send those bank <laughs> statements. I'll give you my address. I'll flip through them. With a monocle and uh, a wet thumb. Gross. <laughs> well, 
If y'all have any tips about how to keep your credit cards or any other banking type account safe, please let us know. Um, But in the meantime, please be sure to exercise caution with your information online. It's super easy to forget about the kinds of accounts where you might have a credit card stored or where you may have an account even to begin with. Uh, I totally forgot about my fitness pal, for example. Um, So, I mean, that could even be the source of my credit card being compromised multiple times. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, definitely a good shout. So before we get to recommendations, just want to remind everybody we couldn't do this without your support on Patreon. Pam, can you tell everybody what's coming up in After Dark today? Yeah, we're going to be talking about cringy icebreakers. I think that anybody that's gone through the school system or even been a part of, you know, a, a corporate workplace has probably had to do some cringy icebreaker exercises. This is inspired by a tweet that Laura found. And I believe that a few of us are also going to share some embarrassing, cringy childhood stories, too. So should be a fun time. Yes. And we're each going to pose a cringy icebreaker question to the other two. So. We'll see how that goes. I'm very excited about the one I'm going to be asking you to. So be ready to be on your toes. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) So that and many more benefits like the ones I mentioned at the top of the episode are available at patreon.com slash millennial. And don't forget, we have a seven-day free trial now, not just on Patreon, but also over on Apple Podcasts. And you can get seven-day free access, whether it's on Patreon or Apple Podcasts. And by the way, Apple Podcast subscribers do get Mega Millennial, which is ad-free millennial with After Dark at the end. So thank you, no matter how you support us. Laura, what do you recommend for our listeners this week? Yeah, I'm going to recommend that folks keep an eye on the Supreme Court decisions that are coming out this Thursday. Um, The reason being is it's rumored that the Supreme Court's decision on Biden's student debt relief proposal um, will be among the decisions that are released on Thursday. So uh, many months of waiting and wondering how this is going to come out, maybe coming, coming to a close here soon. So definitely keep an eye on it. And, you know, may the odds be ever in your favor. (laughs) Related to the credit card talk, if you are currently shopping around for credit cards, I want to recommend the website NerdWallet as a good place to start. I just really like their interface and they do a really good job of breaking down the pros and cons of probably almost any bigger card you might be interested in uh, applying for. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I would obviously like look at other sources as well, but if you just want a really good primer, it's really easy to navigate their site and get um, some b- bigger bullet point details about any card you might be interested in. Do either of you watch the other two? No. no. Very, very, very funny show. Yes, I'm recommending another very funny show this week. Um, Hollywood has never been depicted or predicted so accurately. In fact, just a couple episodes ago, they were mock- they had this plot line where Disney was going to introduce a prominent gay character in one of their animated movies, but the gay character was just a blob. But everybody became obsessed with the idea and they were excited by the idea that Disney finally introduced a prominent gay character, but it was a blob. It was just a blob. 
And then what happens two weeks later? Pixar releases the new animated movie Elemental. And a voice actor tweets, big announcement, I got to play Pixar's first non-binary character, Meet Lake. It's a blob of water. The other two literally called this two weeks ago. It's just... That's funny. And the, the other two somehow got to use Disney's logo and stuff. Like, I don't know how that all got past legal because it doesn't make Disney look good. No, not at all. <laughs> And I mean, especially when you add uh, you add the layer that Elementals completely tanked in the box office. Yeah, we did see that this past weekend. It was good. I must have blinked because I didn't see this non-binary water blob, but I'm excited for the voice actor. (laughs) Sounds about right for Pixar's gay representation, honestly. Exactly. How how were you supposed to know that the water blob was non-binary? I don't know. You you didn't unless you saw this tweet from the actor and this person's name is Kai. I'm sure they're genuinely very excited. I, I their tweet went viral because somebody quote tweeted it with a quote from the other two. So I hope that didn't tamper their excitement. That's funny. <laughs> uh, I am happy for the voice actor who got the job. But so the other two is just so fast paced and sharp. And I saw somebody observe this on Twitter and I completely agree. They're in season three now and the show is just on fire. Like it is nonstop laughs and sharp writing. So definitely check it out. Laugh out loud. Funny. The other two. It's on Max. So with that, make sure you are following the show in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We really appreciate those. They're great to read. If you have any feedback, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com and follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark, we'll start in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, Bye y'all. Everyone. Bye.